Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Discover a healthcare team that's always here for you at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Good morning and welcome to the programme. We have a lot to discuss this morning, including a warning for fixed rate mortgage holders facing a hike. Also, GPs are under pressure in surgeries all over the country, leading to frustration for patients and burnout for those doctors. So what can be done to help make the system better? Badgers, long been blamed for spreading TB, but should they be culled or vaccinated, we debate. Just why are salty crisps? crunchy chocolate biscuits or sour jelly so tempting and how can we stop ourselves from reaching for them also Dr David Coleman will be here answering your parenting questions still time to get them into us email today cb at rte.ie and as Africa's most populous nation picks a new president we're going to take a closer look at the fiercely contested election in Nigeria our text number is 51551 a reminder of the email again today cb at rte.ie or on twitter we are at today with Claire. Is today the day? Well, the UK and the EU are aiming to finalise this deal to revise the terms of an agreement on post-Brexit trade after months of negotiations with Downing Street, raising the prospect of a breakthrough moment. The British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will host the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in Windsor later today. In what's expected to be a fairly perilous week for his leadership, it's still unclear whether Westminster will be asked to vote on the Northern Ireland Protocol. First, I'm joined by Lisa O'Carroll, Brexit correspondent with The Guardian. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Claire. So do you believe a deal will be done today? It has all the signs of, of it being done. If not, it would be a, a total PR disaster with the European Commission uh, President coming into London for a face-to-face meeting with the uh, PM and EU ambassadors this afternoon meeting in Brussels to sign off on the deal. So yes, all the signs are, even though the British government is saying it, a deal is not a deal and so everything um, is tied up, we expect that by 7 o'clock tonight we'll have the details of it. So let's talk about how this will look then from the UK side. So we have the meeting between Rishi Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen. Is he then going to brief Cabinet? And what happens then when it comes to that vote? Because we still don't know whether there will be a vote in Westminster on this deal. No, we don't know um, whether there will be a vote. He was asked about that um, last week in Parliament and used the same phrase as used by his deputy, Dominic Raab, yesterday, which was Parliament will be able to express a view. Now, you'll have seen reports that um, one way of getting it through Parliament may be through secondary legislation. We don't even know why legislation is necessary. Um, But with secondary legislation, you don't need to full-blown. It's not like a bill that goes to the House of Commons, goes to a committee stage and goes on to the law. It's It's a very limited kind of debate in the House of Commons um, and it pushed, it was the type of legislation that pushed through lots of the transfer of EU laws to British uh, statute books um, during um, the Brexit, uh, year before the Brexit deal was done. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it would be interesting, he would come under a lot of pressure to have a vote from his critics in the European Research Group, the Eurosceptics Group and of course the DUP who are in Parliament. 
Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that because, as you say, we will probably, regardless of, of what happens in the sequence of events, we'll, we'll probably know by 7 o'clock tonight what's in this deal. Now, the former Conservative Minister, J- Jacob Rees-Mogg, was saying that the devil will be in the detail of the deal. He was saying that this morning. And then he went on to say that Rishi Sunak had taken a punt on winning the support of the DUP rather than consulting them on what he's planning to agree with the European Union. When do you expect those who are going to object to the deal, who are likely to object to the deal, when are you expecting them to speak out? When will they have something concrete to object to? Well, a lot of them have already, those who who are... Um, you know, the Brexit purists who want uh, the um, application of EU law eliminated completely from uh, Northern Ireland's trading arrangements. They've already spoken out. Marc Bonsoir, former chairman of the ERG, the European Research Group, uh, Eurosceptic Group, said yesterday, we're not stupid. We want EU law expunged. Sammy Wilson has said similar things across media last week. The people to watch out for are Geoffrey Donaldson, the leader of the DUP, and people like David Jones, who's deputy leader of the ERG. So we expect both of them not to give a verdict immediately. Uh, we expect John, uh, Jeffrey Johnson to say, you know, commend the Prime Minister for the negotiations and said we will now take our time to study this. The ERG have also sought last week the legal text so they can go line by line with their legal experts through the deal before they give their verdict. However, all of that said, I think we will still get immediate reaction from some of, some of the people like Mark Bonsoir, like Sammy Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Well, let's find out more about that. Lisa, thanks very much, Lisa O'Carroll there from The Guardian, because there's still huge attention on the DUP this morning and whether they will support this new deal on the protocol or not. Ben Lowry is editor of the Belfast Newsletter and is on the line now. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. So you've been speaking to members of the DUP. What sense are you getting about their position on this deal? Well, yes, and actually last night in preparation for today's paper, I got an up-to-the-date quote from Jeffrey Donaldson, who I spoke to, and he didn't say anything that, that was a surprise and that we didn't already know, which is he, he knows, I, he didn't, I, I'm paraphrasing here, he didn't say he knows the thrust of the deal. He clearly knows the thrust of the deal. What he doesn't know is the detail, and the detail, you know, actually um, does change things. So, for example, whenever you have a budget in a government, whether that's in Dublin or London, a financial bill. There's an awful lot of information in it, and some of it becomes apparent over a long period of time. Now, nobody's ever going to be able to wait for that long for the DUP's reaction. So what I would imagine will happen today is that um, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, will announce it in the House of Commons, and Sir Geoffrey Donaldson will stand up and give a preliminary response. Now, what everybody wants to know, of course, what I want to know, you want to know, and everybody listens to is, is what the DUP is going to do. Um, Jeffrey Donaldson is very much on the pragmatic um, wing of the um, DEP. He was an Ulster Unionist and he did reject the Belfast Agreement of 1998 over um, paramilitary uh, prisoner releases. Um, But he's very much in the moderate end of the DEP. And I think, you know, unionists, uh, there's a very large school of thought within unionism that thinks if you lose control of Stormont, if Stormont goes down for a long period of time and so on, that that is not a good situation for unionism because it throws up all uncertainties as to what will follow that. And I think Geoffrey Donaldson's clearly going to be aware of that sort of thinking. He doesn't want to be seen as a wrecker. At the same time, though, what we do know about the deal is that a number of things weren't up for negotiation. And the, the fundamental part of what's known as Annex 2 of the <clears throat> Northern Ireland Protocol, which essentially means that in a swathes of area, hundreds of EU regulations, 
will apply uh, for trade purposes in Northern Ireland. That's not going to change. Mm-hmm. What, whatever manoeuvring there is of the European Court of Justice in adjudicating it, it is going to ultimately be the, the, the final arbiter on that. And, and I think it is important to say, because I think that the presentation of opposition to this is of extremist, and um, I think I heard, in, was it in the report just before this? Certainly I have heard that, you know, the hardline of um, Eurosceptics and the hardline DUP and so on. I think it's really important to say that actually across unionism, and um, a large body of thought in the sort of unionist wing of the Conservative Party is genuine concern about this. So, so does People that who then, supported the Belfast Agreement, yes. and, and the implications are very big. Now, and, and I understand what you're saying, and I think lots of people do, and you've explained it very clearly, but what it points to then is a potential split in the DUP on this issue. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Claire, actually. I'm surprised people aren't asking it more. Um, and I've thought a lot about that, and I've, because I'm looking in. I mean, obviously, I edit a unionist newspaper, and I speak to, to as many unionists as I can, as often as I can. Um, it's very hard to find out what's really going on in Sinn Féin. It's, it's quite hard to find out what's really going on in the DUP. They, they remain very disciplined parties um, that, that don't like to have their disagreements in public. And I just wonder about this. I mean, I, 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 I've talked to senior people in the DP, people who know the party well, who don't expect or anticipate there being a split. Um, and I suppose ultimately I don't anticipate there being a split. But one does wonder in the medium term, is there a sort of, is this heading towards a fundamental rupture uh, in, uh, in, in unionism, such as you go way back, things like Summingdale, power sharing, um, pro um Partial unions in 1974, anti-partial unions in 1974, Belfast Agreement pro, pro, uh, 1998, mm-hmm. pro-agreement unions, anti-agreement unions. Is that, is that where this could be going? Because it's very, I mean, Jeffrey Donaldson in tone and outlook is, is, is often closer to um, Doug Beatty, and there's been a lot of Doug Beatty LC Unionist Party, which, which Jeffrey Donaldson was once a member of. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was traditionally the more unionist faction. So I would say two things in response to that. I would say that anybody who in, in the Republic who's listening to this, you know, hoping that a very moderate wing of unionism will emerge, well, I think that moderates, the Ulster Unionists, were the first off the block in opposing the protocol. Uh, I edited a newspaper that was pulled Belfast Agreement. Moderate unionists are really dismayed at how we've ended up outside the UK internal market, which is really essentially what's happened. Okay. Um, at, the same, at the same time, yes, in answer to your question, uh, could this at some point lead to some sort of rupture in the medium term, that actually wouldn't surprise me. You think it could? Well, I, just stay with us, uh, Ben, if you would, because I've sourced you Eastwood Alliance Party MLA for Lagan Valley on the line. Good morning to you and thank you for joining us. What do you make of what Ben has been saying there about the potential here? Because very many, in, in his words, moderate DUP members would not be in favour of this. So there's a potential for a split in that party. Good morning. Um, it's, it's great to hear that analysis from Ben, and I think he's completely right whenever he says, I'm surprised why more people aren't asking these questions. And it feels to me that at the minute, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn with David Trimble's position um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, both in terms of questions around the actual acceptance of the Great Friday Agreement, and then obviously the, the rise that engulfed um, that following decommissioning and stuff like that. So almost in a way, Jeffrey Donaldson was pivotal in that for the Ulster Unionist Party. He left then to go to the DEP, and he is almost now in the exact same position where people within his 
own party, the DEP, will be looking at it and saying, this is not what we signed up to. Um, this is clearly not where we want to be. On the other hand, there are other MLAs within that party who are very much committed to devolution, who do want to be back at their desks, who don't agree privately with this strategy. And the rest of us and the other parties are sitting going, we agree with that. We want to be back at our desks doing the job. And I think there are serious fundamental questions for elected unionism. Um, in terms of unionism and unionists on the ground, obviously we would take in a share of those voters ourselves yeah. as a party. Um, and what they're saying is they want us all back at work. Ben, there's another way that the DUP could approach this, isn't there? by going into opposition in Stormont. So then an executive could form, the DUP would avoid having to give a glowing endorsement of this deal and it would also avoid the DUP having to vote for a Sinn Féin First Minister. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's an interesting theory. I don't think that that is going to happen. There's all sorts of things. I think, it, uh, you know, the DUP would then, unionism would uh, not have, um, uh, ministerial decision-making would, would happen without any unionist input. Yes, it's not and power sharing. Of course, a very interesting thing about, of course, an interesting thing about how things have changed in, in Northern Ireland is that yeah, um, unionists now have, have a, um, a, a very big interest in minority protections. Um, and it seems that nationalism and, and alliance is more keen to move away from a system of mandatory coalition. That's one of the paradoxes. I mean, unionism is still the biggest block, I should say, in terms of percentage of the vote. It's, a, it's only a couple of percentage points ahead of nationalism now, so I, I wouldn't be um, overemphasizing that point. But I think we should, we should at the same time not underestimate the influence of unionism. But I don't think whatever happens here, the, the DUP will go into opposition. I think really what you're talking about when you're talking about disagreements and unionism and splits, and I do want—I don't want anyone to come away and say that I'm saying there's going to be a split. I just think it's an interesting idea and a possibility. But I think the more a simple way of looking at it is between those who say, "Well, we'll take our chances with direct rule." You know, the, I mean, everybody talks about an increased say for the Irish government, but it can't be a much increased say without legal changes. And those who say, "No, we can't take our chances with direct rule. We really have to stay in Stormont for all its problems." And, Sorsha, to that suggestion that the DUP could possibly go into opposition in Stormont, and it does solve a lot of problems for the DUP, doesn't it? But would it work? I, I can't say that happening. I, I don't see that as a possibility. Um, I, I do think that there are serious questions by both the UK government and the Irish government that need to be answered in terms of Ben's reference there about the idea of mandatory versus voluntary coalition and as a party, that's something we've been, been calling for for a long time um, since um, the inception of the Good Friday Agreement. And obviously, our vote is growing. We represent unionists, nationalists and unaligned people like myself who are neither of those things. And clearly, whenever you have a society where actually nobody really has a majority in Northern Ireland anymore, we're all a series of minorities, um, we have to look at the actual mechanics of how that agreement works to actually enable us to get in um, and do our jobs. And if the logistics of that need to be tweaked, mm -hmm. um, like we've seen other minor tweaks to the Good Friday Agreement to let us get in and take Deputy First Minister or, or whatever role it may be, um, that's something that we say needs to be done. So we would be looking to put pressure on the UK and Irish governments if this deal goes ahead and the DEP still don't accept because we can't continue on in this situation where well, we don't have a government. Well, well the, the, I think everybody accepts that if this breakthrough on the protocol doesn't get st Stormont back up and running in the coming weeks, 
it's in cold storage for God knows how long. I don't think that's necessarily the accepted view. But but why wouldn't that be the case? Because the public are saying to us that they want us back in. If we didn't think for a second that the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland, regardless of who they voted for, um, didn't want a devolved government, well, then everybody may as well pack up and leave the pitch. Mm -hmm. But that isn't what they're saying. They're saying we do want you back at the desk. Obviously, we would love the DUP to be in. It doesn't suit anybody in Northern Ireland to not have a strong, confident unionist party. It's very clear that we do need a unionist partner. But we can't forever in a day hold back process in Northern Ireland whenever our health, education and social welfare systems are suffering. Um, It's it's just not possible. Sinn Féin have done it before. Um, So clearly now the DUP are doing it. And we can't rule out that it won't happen again. So that's why our call for reform is so important. And I do think it will be listened to. So is the real issue here then that the DUP just won't back a Sinn Féin First Minister? I think that would be a question that you would need to ask them. But certainly from our perspective, what they've done is that they've locked out everybody. For us as a party, it isn't just about Sinn Féin and will they serve under a Sinn Féin First Minister. What they've done is they've not allowed any of us Mm -hmm. to do our jobs. And obviously that would lend itself then to the view of the DUP only want power on their terms. They only want governance on their terms. And clearly that's not a sustainable or fair position. Um, So for us, Yes, that's a question that they need to answer. They clearly made that into a, um, a bit of a fiasco for themselves during the Assembly campaign last year, and that annoyed a lot of people. We accept democracy, um, and whoever's voted in, we will absolutely work with them. Um, and I think fundamentally the question is, as I say, it's about much wider um, than just DEP versus Sinn Féin. They've not allowed any of us to do our jobs and clearly that will have ramifications. I have Professor John Tong uh, on the line here too. John, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. So the DUP's position on this, how crucial is the DUP reaction to this deal? And can anyone predict what might happen if they say no? Well, it's absolutely crucial, that's for sure, because if the DUP says no, then there won't be a return to devolved power sharing unless the rules at Stormont are changed by the British government, which I wouldn't rule out in the long term to remove the, the DUP boulder uh, in, the, in the road. Um, you know, this, is, this whole revised deal is partly predicated upon the return of devolved power sharing, which, remember, was collapsed you know, more than 12 months ago. Rishi Sunak is, is taking a, a gamble here that by announcing the deal today that the DUP will fall into line. It's a, it's a risky gamble, as many gambles are, but the assumption is that you know, he can get it through Westminster, that's for sure. The, the European Research Group, their role has been rather talked up and over-talked up, in my view, here. Let's remember the, the ERG, first of all, they all back the original protocol. This is a very heavily modified protocol, so why wouldn't the European Research Group back this deal if they were prepared to back the deal in 2019. But more importantly, Rishi Sunak is in a much better position than Theresa May because uh, Rishi Sunak is not going to, uh, this deal is not going to crumble on the basis of Westminster parliamentary arithmetic. He will get the deal through because Keir Starmer uh, and the Labour opposition are going to support the deal. So it really does come down to now whether devolved power sharing is restored, whether the DUP says yes or no. I I tend to agree with what what, what Saoirse said there that, I, I mean, there is a division within the, within the DUP. I mean, some of the Westminster team, they've got less, you know, of a, uh, less at stake here. They're on comfortable salaries at Westminster, and they're not, they're not suffering like MLAs on reduced salaries, uh, 27% cut in, in MLA salaries at, at Stormont. Uh, and they can make 
belligerent noises about this deal. And, you know, some of the loudest voices have been from, from for example, Sammy Wilson, who said, look, there cannot be a role for uh, the European Court of Justice, European law within Northern Ireland. If you look at the DUP 7 test, they don't, they don't mention the European Court of Justice. What yes, they say yeah, is... No, that's they, true. But you heard Ben Lowry saying earlier that there is a vast swathe of moderates in the DUP, both members and elected representatves, who agree with that Sammy Smith view and Nigel Dodd's view on this. And that's the biggest single problem I think that Jeffrey Donaldson has, that unionist opinion, I'd agree with, with, with Ben there, unionist opinion is behind, broadly, the DUP's position. If you look at the most recent opinion poll on the matter, 41% of, of unionists said that they uh, wanted outright abolition of the protocol, and the next largest category at 25% of unionists said they wanted very substantial reform of the protocol. So two-thirds either want the protocol abolished or very substantially reformed. So there's, you know, if it depends on whether you think that Jeffrey Donaldson, is, as leader of the DP, is, cap- is capable of shaping unionist opinion behind this modified protocol. There are, there are plenty of goodies in, in these changes for the DUP. You know, the, the European Union has shifted quite a long way on, in terms of state aid, in terms of VAT, in terms of checks on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. But it really depends now on the political will of Jeffrey Donaldson as to whether he wants to take his party to a place where some members of that party, some prominent members, don't particularly want to go. Mm-hmm. Just looking, uh, Sorsha, at this threat made over the weekend by loyalist par- par- paramilitaries, that they would wreck the place, that's what they said, the streets will be in flames. If any Brexit deal between the UK and the EU doesn't eliminate any Irish sea border. Now, do you understand unionist concerns about the continued existence of an Irish sea border post this new deal? I think what's clear, Claire, is that we shouldn't have a position where paramilitary should exist, let alone be issuing statements. Um, We have only just seen this week as a police officer um, lies fighting for his life. Um, The actions of paramilitary groups, including dissident Republican groups, and there shouldn't be any place for them anywhere. The vast majority of people in Northern Ireland, regardless of their political viewpoint, um, reject violence, they reject paramilitarism, and it's the job of politicians to get in around the table and not allow a vacuum to exist that clearly will be populated by extremists and those hell-bent and dragging us back to the past. So I think we have a choice to make in Northern Ireland. Um, We can either get on board Mm -hmm. and close this chapter out and move on um, and, and get round the table and start talking about the things that, that matter to voters. I mean, there but was do, research you, out of Queen. But, but do you understand, um, Sorsha, that even if there is a green lane and a red lane, that still means, and if you are unionist, you will see this very clearly, that still means some checks within the UK? Well, just, just to finish that last point, there was research out of Queen's University last week, the back end of last week, that said actually for a majority of people, the protocol was not their, their top issue at all including unionists, and I believe that. And we're seeing that evidenced on the doors and in the the work that comes through our constituency offices. I think there is a a key difference between elected unionism and unionists on the ground. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that regardless of a unionist's view on this, they are simply not in a position where they are willing to accept a long-term managed decline of public services in Northern Ireland because that is the choice the EP have given to them. It's the elected unionists who have to make the decision on this. Isn't that the whole point? And this is where they need to show leadership. 
this is where they need to show leadership. And I said at the top, Claire, you know, it doesn't serve anybody in Northern Ireland well not to have a strong, confident unionist party. But I can't create that for them. Geoffrey needs to do that for himself. And I think, I mean, Northern Ireland's a small place. We all get on. We all know each other. And knowing him, this is not where he wants to be. Um, he is a, a pragmatist. He is somebody who, who doesn't enjoy conflict. Um, and I think the real battle is within that party. Um, and we clearly want and will try and support the DEP in whatever way we can to make this deal work whenever it gets across the line. But what we can't do is compromise our own principles in the process and say that it's okay for them to hold up the institutions of government whilst they they make up their mind in in doing that. All right, we'll need to leave that one there, but we'll come back to it if there are any further developments. Sorsha Eastwood from the Alliance Party, Ben Lowry from the Belfast Newsletter and Professor John Tong. Thank you all for joining us. Now coming up next, fixed rate mortgage holders are facing hikes. Charlie Weston explains. Text 51551 Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.